0: You're listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Brunswick, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, head to our website at www.cvcbrunswick.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. (laughs) My name is Matt Dolezal. Um, My wife and I have been attending CVC Broadview Heights for about a decade or more. um, And... We have, I've, I've been involved in men's ministry, men's life groups for a number of years. My wife and I have led life groups from our home for a number of years, and we will be actually starting to lead a new life group from our home for singles, young adults, whoever wants to come in the fall of this year. So um, I am first and foremost a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, I'm second. I am uh, I am a husband to my wife Sarah, who's right there, and uh, I am also the father to a beautiful three-year-old daughter Nora, and I am a father also to a one-year-old boy Charlie. Before we get into today's message, let's let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your grace that has saved us through faith. Thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. We thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for each person that you've brought here today, Lord, for your specific purpose. And I pray, Lord, that they would hear a word today, Lord, that would bring them closer to you, a word that would open their eyes and their ears to hear and see you more clearly. Father, I pray for Pastor Rick over at Broadview Heights as he preaches from the same same text today. Lord, that you would be with him and equip him, that you would humble him so that the spirit may move through him. Lord, guard both of our mouths against false teaching today, and we praise you. I pray that this message glorifies you, Lord, above all other things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been said that there's no better place to start than in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and and everything that he created was very good. Man and woman existed in perfect fellowship in the presence of the Father together. Perfect relationship, perfect fellowship in the presence of one another. In the presence of a holy God, man and woman existed However, the man and the woman were deceived, and they chose to sin against the Lord. And at this moment, human beings from this point forward became slaves to sin. Sin entered the world, and we were forever, until this point, severed with relationship to the Father. We were no longer, as sinful human beings, able to even be in the presence of God. He cast us out of the garden in his great mercy. From this point forward, we see the constant struggle of sin, discipline from the Lord, but restoration through a faithful God. Until God, in his great mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human to this earth to live a sinless life and to die a death on that cross as an atonement once and for all for our sins. At that point, We became free from sin for those who put their hope and faith and trust in Jesus. And three days later, he rose again from the grave. God the Father, in his great might and his great power, rose Jesus from the grave where he ascended and is now sitting, interceding for us today. But it was at the point of death on the cross that sin was defeated. That we that Jesus was victorious over sin. From that point forward, those who put their hope and faith and trust in Jesus are no longer slaves to sin. They are not under the yoke of slavery or the bondage of slavery, but they are free. We have experienced true freedom in that cross at that time. That's why Paul in First Corinthians so strongly emphasizes that we preach Christ crucified. Because without the cross, without the crucifixion, we are still slaves to sin. My preaching, Josh's preaching, Rick's preaching is all folly and futile. But we preach Christ crucified because we have been set free. We experience true freedom from sin in that cross and in Jesus Christ alone, which is why I can even stand here today and teach from the book of Ephesians. We've often heard the importance of reading and applying scripture within the context that it was written. And this is certainly the case with the book of Ephesians and all of Paul's epistles, which is just a fancy uh, word for letters. But these letters that Paul wrote were written as a whole. So to pick and choose scripture verses from these letters can sometimes be misleading. So it's especially important in this time that we that we take a look at the whole of the epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. For today's message will actually be in chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. But before we get there, we're going to take a little trip and review the whole book of Ephesians up until this point. Because as you'll see, the argument that Paul is going to make in these verses, he's going back into all the way to chapter, chapter 1, chapter 2, all the way through chapter 6, and his, the climax of his argument is made in chapter 6. So we need a foundational understanding of what he has said prior. So like I said, this epistle was written to the church in Ephesus by Paul in, in about 62 A.D., while he was imprisoned in Rome. He actually spent three years in Ephesus preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. He was met with much paganism, idolatry, materialism, and other forms of spiritual warfare for that three years. So he's in Rome, in prison now, remembering his time in Ephesus, like three years, I've got to check in on them. I've got to tell them, to stand firm in that freedom that Christ has given them. He spent three years in Ephesus, probably the fourth or fifth largest city in the world at the time. So imagine a missionary going to Ephesus in in a city equivalent to like New York City today or Manhattan with all the adversity, all the spiritual warfare, all of the just ugliness that comes along with that many broken, sinless people. But while reading through Ephesians, you'll notice a major underlying theme is that the book is very relational. Paul tells us that in the first, the first part of the epistle, he examines our relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. He goes through and, and he talks about our relationship with one another within the body, within the church. He talks about relationships between husbands and wives. He talks about relationships between children and their parents. The whole book is very relational. Relational this way. There's no talk of division, and anything in that would be anti to his thesis. And I would go so far as to say that because of the richness and the theology in Ephesians that God is most glorified in this epistle by Jesus and his freeing work on the cross into people, into one body without division and in so doing defeating the demonic powers of the universe. I mean, there is no doubt when you read the epistle of Ephesians that that God is glorified. God is glorified by who we are. And God is glorified by unifying us together. So the whole book is primarily broken down into two major sections. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul tells us who we are. Who we are as followers of Christ. He's writing this letter to brothers and sisters in Ephesus. So he reminds us, he affirms what we believe as followers of Christ in chapters 1 through 3. In chapters 4 through 6... He tells us how we are supposed to walk as followers of Christ and he gives many exhortations as to as to how to do this. So in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, Paul tells us that we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins, not like hanging out, walking around. We were dead. We were spiritually dead with no hope. That we are redeemed, that we are forgiven. And in chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, Paul tells us that for grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He goes on to say that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That our salvation, when placed in Jesus Christ alone, when we believe that we were truly set free on that cross that our inheritance as sons and daughters is sealed by the Holy Spirit and that we are unified further on in chapter 2, Paul tells us, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace is that through the death of Jesus, Christ crucified, through that act, we have been freed from sin and have been unified together in one body. He unified Jews and Gentiles, or Jews and everyone else. We are unified into one body. And make no mistake here, that Christ has torn down the racial division between Jews and Gentiles and all of the other man-made Divisions of hostility that existed then and that exist today. Whether they are racial, political, social, or gender divisions, what Christ has torn down, let not man build back up. God is most glorified at times by the racial division in the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 through 6 Paul tells us how we are to walk as followers of Christ. We walk worthy of our calling in humility and gentleness and patience. We walk in love. We speak in love. We post in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Pastor Josh taught two weeks ago on how we walk in submission and sacrifice as wives and husbands. Later in chapter 6, he instructs children in their relationship to their parents. And Pastor Josh just taught last week on how we walk as masters and servants. So we finally, thank you for bearing with we we finally made it to Ephesians chapter 10, yeah, chapter 6, verse 10 through 13, which I said before, some biblical scholars to actually believe that these verses are the climax of the whole epistle. He's done all of this prep work. He's affirmed who we are. He's told us how to walk. Now we've gotten up to this mountaintop and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. What Paul's saying in these verses is that in this life that we live now until Jesus comes back that we will be engaging in a spiritual warfare with the devil and his demons. And he directs us how to fight and be successful in these battles. Going back to first verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul calls us to be strong In the Lord and in His might. How often do we walk through life thinking that I'm going to do this? I am in control of this. I am in control of that. But what Paul is saying here that you have no idea what you guys are going to get into. I lived it for three years in Ephesus under this warfare. You don't know. You cannot do it yourself. Put on the Lord in his strength, in his might. He tells us back in chapter 1, verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So what Paul is telling us then number one, you can't do it. You cannot be successful in this battle without Christ. And what he's telling us is that power, the power that you need to be successful in these battles is actually the same power that, that the Lord God Father used to raise Jesus up from the dead. That is the same power that you are going to need in your lives. You cannot do it on your own. You can choose to ignore it if you want. But Paul is telling us in chapter six that it is very real. Jesus himself reminds us in the Gospel of John that I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot win this spiritual battle. It's been won. Victory on the cross, true freedom has been won for you, but you can't be successful in the day-to-day battles without abiding in Jesus the Savior. We go on in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So what's Paul talking about here? Put on, put on. Back in chapter four verse twenty two to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness so paul uses uses this this uh, illustration that we put off your old self, you die. To your old self. And you put on Christ. You're putting him on. He tells us to be imitators of God. He also tells the Thessalonians the same thing in the beginning of the letter to them. To be imitators of God as beloved children. So what Paul is saying is the whole armor, this whole armor that we're supposed to put on is actually Christ himself. We put on Christ every day. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul when writing this letter to use the same language and imagery as the prophet Isaiah used to describe the Messiah himself. In Isaiah chapter 59 verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak Isaiah hundreds of years before Paul wrote this epistle is using the same language to describe the Messiah in chapter 11 Isaiah says righteousness shall be the belt of his of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins so Christ is saying in verse 11 that you need to put on Christ you need to be in Christ. Put on Christ. Furthermore, in verse 11, he says, so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Schemes uh, defined in our, in our dictionary. Some, some translation use, uses the word wiles, meaning a large-scale systematic plan for arrangement for attaining a particular object. And that object is you. That object is me in this case. They, the devil and his demons are scheming. They're not, they, they don't not have an agenda. They have a purpose and they have a goal. They are scheming against you. They know how you've fallen before. They know what temptations trigger something in you. They know where to plant the snares. The Greek word, skedio, carries the idea of cleverness, crafty methods, cunning, and deception. So there's nothing good about these schemes. But they're not just sitting around uh, pulling out lottery numbers about who they want to attack today. They know you. They know what you have done. And they know how to trap you and tempt you again. In verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You can almost hear it in, in Paul's voice to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. This is what we wrestle with. You are in a spiritual wrestling match every day of your life. It's not the flesh that that you need to be concerned with. That's that's folly. You need to be concerned about the spiritual warfare that you are in every single day. But you're probably asking, like, Matt, you went into this big spiel at the beginning of this about how victory's been won. Why are we even fighting a battle? Why do we fight today? Because I think we can all agree that sin is still in this world. But what Paul is alluding to here is the concept of already, already, victory has been won. We experience true freedom from sin in the cross, but not yet because we have not experienced the full fruits of God's will to be accomplished yet. So actually, back in, in chapter 1, verse 21, speaking of Jesus, where he is now, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every other name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. What he's saying is, yes, this is already done. Jesus is the ruler of all spiritual, heavenly, on this earth, wherever. He created it, he sustains it, and he will come back again. But be sure that the victory has been won. But not yet, because we're waiting for God's perfect will to be accomplished because he desires all to come to saving faith in him. In verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Take up the whole armor of God. Put on Christ. You're dead here. You're alive here. Put on Jesus. Put on Christ. Put on the whole full armor of God. And what he's saying is this is a permanent put on. This isn't we just pick it up when we feel like it. At the moment that you place your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're to put Christ on all the time, every day, because we believe that we have experienced true freedom in that cross. This is a change in identity. Dead, alive. We identify as followers of Christ at this point. Everyone should walk around knowing that, man, that dude's wearing the armor. He's got... Christ in his life we are in Christ we have put on this armor and above all else we identify as such we identify as followers of Jesus Paul goes so far in Galatians to say that I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but he who lives in me we have when we place our hope and faith in Jesus We die to ourselves. We are crucified with Christ. And it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. The evil day. Back in chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. The days are evil, friends. If we give way, if we are idle, The days are certainly evil. The times of temptation, we all know, ebb and flow. There are days that we feel strong in the Lord, that we can stand firm in that freedom. There are days that we feel totally depleted. Don't give Satan the time in your day to tempt you. Verse 13 again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all and having done everything that you can do in your strength, in your capacity as followers of Christ, in having done all to stand firm. Stand firm, Dan, stand firm, Tawny, stand firm, brothers and sisters. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour, not someone to play with. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour your soul. So stand firm. Put a stake in the ground in what you believe. Who you are. You are saved by grace through faith because of Jesus Christ on the cross. Stand firm in that. This theme of standing firm is, is not abstract or, 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 or exclusive to this epistle. We see it throughout the whole, the whole Bible. First Corinthians, Paul tells us, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. In Philippians chapter four, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, My joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Second Thessalonians, so then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. Peter tells us in chapter 5, the true grace of God, stand firm in it. You have been saved by grace, stand in this. And even Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 11 says, But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Brothers and sisters, we see here that the exhortation to stand firm is a defensive position. It's not run here, run there, hide from Satan in that corner, try to get away from him in your basement, maybe try the attic, but to stand firm. Be watchful and stand firm in his might and in his power. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. Stand firm in that. It's defensive. There is only one offensive weapon that we have in this battle. And it's the sword of the word. But I'll let Josh get into that next week. But for now, I have three keys to a strong defense. So that you will be able to stand firm in freedom. The first key to a strong defense is to know your enemy. Satan is the father of lies. He's crafty and cunning. He's the ruler of demons. He's the tempter, a murderer, the accuser, and he is powerful. Ask Job. Satan is not, though, he's not omniscient. He cannot read your mind. He doesn't know what you're going to do in the future, though he may have a pretty good idea. But he's not omniscient. He cannot read your mind. He's not omnipresent, though his demons are many. He is not unlimited in power. Whatever power and whatever authority Satan has, it's allowed from God the Father. Now, how do we accept that? How do we wrestle with that? Because we know that Romans eight twenty eight is true, that God works all things, good or bad, for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. Satan is not equal to God. He is a created being. And like I said, he's not able to see the future, though he's seen your past. The second key to a strong defense so that you may be able to stand firm in that freedom that was bought for you is to know your own weaknesses. This is the part that gets really uncomfortable because it forces you to look at yourself and to choose to do some things and not others. You have to know your weaknesses to be able to stand firm. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that all things are lawful for me, for us, followers of Christ, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. We have free will, brothers and sisters, but we know the temptations that get us to fall. Do you have safety nets in place? Are you a mature enough believer To say yes to this or no to that? Or no to this, and I'm going to do something instead? Do you have safety nets? If you struggle with lust, do you have unfiltered internet access at home? If you struggle with materialism, do you have limits placed on your resources? If you struggle with gossip, do you have the maturity to stop and walk away from a conversation that you know is not appropriate? Do you have the strength? Do you have the strength in yourself to face the temptation? No. And Paul tells us that, that we need the strength of God the Father. But you need to know your own weaknesses. You you know where you've fallen before. I know where I've fallen before. I know what I have to say no to. In order to glorify him, are you a mature enough believer to have an accountability partner in your life who may know you better than your spouse, who you can talk to, who knows your sin, who knows you, and can maybe even see things more clearer than you can? But we also need to know that not all bad things that happen to us in our life or adverse circumstances. Is, a form, is because of spiritual warfare. I mean, believe me, you all know our free will can account for plenty of adversity in our life. You need to know your enemy. You need to know your weaknesses. And the third key to a strong defense is to be prepared. If we're talking about defenses here, be conditioned. Be a conditioned defender. Your spiritual disciplines are crucial to this, to being able to stand firm. You need to be in constant prayer to the Lord, a communion with him throughout your day so that any decision, any word that comes out of your mouth or any action has been taken before the Lord. Are you conversing with him throughout your day? Are you saturated in the word of Christ daily? Jesus tells us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You need to be immersed in scripture one way or the other. It's more accessible today than it has ever been. You need to immerse yourself in scripture because if you're not immersing yourself in it, you're immersing yourself in something else. And finally, are you in community with other Christian believers? We call them life groups here at CBC. Are you strong enough to decide that for two hours a week, or whatever it is, I'm going to commit to meeting with brothers and sisters in Christ and form relationships with them, form community with them? Because at some point, you're either going to get the phone call, you're going to get the diagnosis, you're going to experience infertility, you're going to do something, something is going to happen that you are going to need other believers to rally around you? Are you strong enough to be in community, authentic community with other believers? Brothers and sisters, the spiritual battles that we face are very real. And as followers of Christ, we are called to stand firm in the freedom that Jesus Christ won us on that cross For those of you who have not given your life to Christ and maybe have felt a stirring today in anything that I said or any song or anything today, do not leave here without confessing that Jesus is Lord, repenting of your sins. The cost, the stakes are too high for you to walk out those doors unchanged back into the world where, they are, where Satan and his demons are looking to devour you. Friends, as we go from here today, celebrating the freedoms that we enjoy in this country, I pray that you will continually celebrate the true freedom that we have in the cross that's done for us that you will stand firm in it. Put your stake in the ground and stand firm in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Father, you are king and you are Lord And we thank you for what you have done in our lives, what you are doing, and what you will do. Lord, give us the desire and the strength to be obedient to you. Lord, we cannot fight this battle on our own. Father, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here or anyone at Broadview Heights, Lord, that that has felt a stirring, Lord, that they would submit their life to you today, that they would. Re- that you would grant them the repentance of faith, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and further teaching series on our website at www.cvcbrunswick.org.